0: You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number six. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show, you guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I hope If you have just recently discovered the podcast that you have enjoyed the last few episodes, some oldies that I had recorded a while back, and then a few newer episodes as well. So hopefully uh, you're learning something from it and getting some value out of it. At least maybe a few giggles here and there. I don't know. I'm up for all of it. I'm not going to lie, you guys, I'm a little flustered today. There's a lot going on over here at Inside City Abroad HQ. I'm not going to dive deep into all of it. I will say, however, that I am launching the Global Pro Institute again next week. Doors will open next week. So if you are out for the holidays and enjoying the Independence Day here in the United States, have fun, but also be watching your email if you're on the VIP list for news about that opening up very soon. If you're not on the VIP list, go to learn.insidestudyabroad.com and there's a box there where you can sign up to make sure you're on that VIP list. What does it mean to be a VIP? Well, you have to be on the list to really find out, but I will say that there are special additions and bonuses and even discounts if you are on the list. So make sure that you sign up there. Again, that's learn.insidestudyabroad.com. All right. Today on the show, I have my friends over at CRCC Asia. Daniel and Ed, the two co-founders and directors of the organization are joining me. Like a lot of the, some of the past interviews I've done, I recorded this a little while ago. We're coming, at, we're coming on an anniversary, if you will, of when we recorded this. So I really appreciate Daniel and Ed's patience as I have gotten her back around to releasing a lot of these really great interviews that we've done. A few things I do need to mention about this particular interview is that our internet connection was a little wonky. So there's going to be a few times where that's, you're going to hear that. So I did my best in post-production trying to edit some of those things out, but some of it, there's just no helping it. So, apologies in advance for that. Uh, a little background about uh, how I know Daniel and Ed. We actually met many moons ago when Go Overseas held a marketing conference, which I don't believe they've held since. And it was after the San Diego NAFSA, I believe. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I should look these things up before I start talking. as I got to know them a little better after having a few cool conversations with them there, and I learned a lot about their personal stories and how CRCC Asia got started, I knew I had to interview them and I had to bring their story to the rest of the field. Now, one of the things that I think is really interesting about CRCC Asia is that China and internships are their sweet spot. That's really what they focus on. But you'll also see if you go check them out on their website that they actually do offer study abroad and language immersion programs as well well. but their their bread and butter if you will are internships in China which I think is really interesting after just coming back from the global internship conference a couple weeks ago in Boston internships are really on my mind right now so I think that this conversation is actually really really timely one of the things that we didn't touch on in the interview and when I was listening to it afterwards I thought whoa how did I not ask them about this. Uh, But what does CRCC stand for? It just seems like a really strange kind of uh, acronym. And so I did a little digging and I discovered that there were two companies that Daniel and Ed had founded. One was called China Recruitment and the other was called China Consulting. And each one did slightly different things. And they decided to merge them together and really focus on the internship element, the recruitment side of the business. And that's how CRCC Asia was kind of born. So there you go. There's a little, little fun fact for you. Uh, what we're going to talk about in this episode and what you should expect to set, sort of learn is that Ed and Daniel at ages nine and 14 respectively, had some pretty interesting experiences that definitely changed their lives forever. So we'll be talking about that. We have a a little fun moment where Daniel defines what is cool for us, which I hope you find as entertaining as I did. And we talk about the real role of internship organizations, what what they're supposed to be doing on the ground, what industries are hot in China right now and why uh, even people with no knowledge of the country or the language need to spend some time in China and some of the biggest misconceptions students have about interning in places like China. And then I also, we also get into sort of this concept about why internships and study abroad programs at some point should suck just a little bit. And if you're curious what the heck I'm talking about when I say that, listen in. Uh, That's closer to the end of the interviews. I think it's a really interesting interview and kind of how they got started and 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 why they decided to start a, a very specific type of organization, internships within international education, but then specifically within a very uh, specific country. I hope you enjoy this interview with Daniel and Ed. Let's go to the show. Today I'm talking to the two co-founders and directors of CRCC Asia, Daniel Naverne and Edward Holroyd-Pierce. Hey guys! Hey, Greg. Talk to me about how your study abroad story got started.
1: My story, I would wager, is pretty unique. We had a holiday, family holiday in Greece, and the year after, when I was eight years old, my mom sent me to stay with a Greek family. I spoke a few words of Greek, but, you know, I thought that was pretty brave. And I always remember coming back on the plane as an unaccompanied minor, And the lady said, who's picking you up? And I said, oh, no, I'm going back to Oxford on the airport bus. And the lady was like, huh, okay. And I guess that's when my sort of um, independent side love of travel really started to show itself.
0: That's really funny. Um, So, wait, we got to get into this because that just seems crazy. Okay, no offense to your parents, but so did you have... Do you have, like, a family heritage connection or something to Greece, or was there anything beyond just a family holiday connection?
1: Well, no, we were on a family holiday, and um, my young sister was about to fall out of the fire exit on a bus, and some Greek, you know, guy just picked her up and sat her down on his knee, got chatting, and my mum was like, oh, maybe next year they could do an exchange. So his daughter came over to my family, and I went over to stay with them.
0: That Pretty is random. Awesome! Yeah. See, uh, this is why I do these interviews, because who's going to hear that story?
1: The other small thing I did, um, I went and lived in Thailand for um, a little over a year, um, just after graduating high school, which okay. was really incredible. And Thailand still remains one of my favorite places. What
2: about you, Daniel? Uh, so I wasn't quite nine years old. I was uh, a staggering 14 years old. And I was studying French and German at school, and we did an exchange to Paris. And uh, about 15 of us from England, uh, taking the Eurostar over to Paris. And when we got to the other side, we were sort of kind of coolish at 14. And then these really little sort of French guys came to meet us. They were our exchange partners. And each one, one after the other, we were like, oh, no. Oh, no. I hope that's not my exchange partner. And then sort of from the back of the crowd, this really cool guy in a long gray coat with long hair came over. And he was my exchange student. He's like, Daniel, je suis Timothée. And he walked over really cool, and I was like, I'm Daniel. And he was the cool kid of the year. He would walk, stand on his balcony with Goulois having a cigarette. Um, he, had the, he had all the girls around him, and he was my exchange partner. And uh, 18 years later, we're still Facebook friends.
0: Hello. Uh,
2: I went to Paris a couple of years ago, and I sought him out. And uh, yeah, I've had a lifelong friendship ever since. So that was, that was my first uh, experience of uh, doing a sort of study abroad experience.
0: So you got assigned to the cool kid in the class and everybody else got assigned to like the dorks basically is what you're trying to say?
2: Pretty much. I (laughs) got the only cool kid in the year.
0: So now we all know if Daniel talks to you at a conference. It might be more because you're the cool kid. (laughs) There
2: you go. bro, 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 that was when I was cool when I was 14. (laughs) It's not,
0: it's
1: changed since then.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. Okay, cool. Well, that's really interesting. So how did you
1: two meet? We were at a master's course in um, SOAS in London, the School of Oriental and African Studies. Okay. Uh, we were both doing a master's in international management for China. And uh, Daniel kind of approached me and said, you know, do I fancy setting something up with him? And uh, that's really where it all started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: let's, let's get into that story. So now we have this internship company called CRCC Asia and tell us what it is and how it got started.
2: Yeah, so um so as I said I I did French and German at university in the UK and I I spent a year living in France and Germany and was really interested in Europe. Um and then when I graduated I I started hearing more and more about China and the rise of China and thought that would be that sounds cool. So I went out and I uh I lived in a small town. I guess it's got a million people, but in China it's a a town. Yeah. Um about four hours south of Beijing, um, where I worked at a university there, and that started inspiring the idea of, of bringing more people over to uh, to China. So I went back. I did um, the masters at the University of London at SOAS, um, and the, there was this other guy in the class who uh, spoke really good Chinese and had a passion for China as well. So we started talking and uh, had few coffees, a few sandwiches and about three months later we were sat side by side
1: uh, setting up CC Asia.
0: So wait, let's back up a second. So you met this guy who spoke really great Chinese. How did you learn Chinese?
1: Um, that was my major at university. Oh, was okay. A, was that a,
0: inspired by being an agent like, when you were in Thailand? or?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd actually, I'd already studied a little bit of Chinese by the time I did my Thailand trip. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, then I decided that that's what I wanted to read at university. And after that, I was really just looking for an outlet um, and a way to share my passion in China and Chinese studies right. with other people. And that's about the time we got a lot of questions from friends and family saying, I want to go to China, but I don't just want to go backpacking. I don't just want to teach English. And that's really where we kind of came up with this internships program. You know, we were like some of the first people to offer that mm-hmm. in China.
0: So let's- what you guys do, I mean, because there's there's a lot of say, abroad providers out there offering internships abroad now as part of their catalog, so there's a lot more of those springing up, and I think internships are becoming really, really popular, and I always tell people all the time, if you have to choose, don't tell anybody this, but I always tell people if you have to choose between study and intern abroad, intern abroad. Everybody um, will ever find out. <laughs> but if you can do both, do both, obviously, but, so let's talk a little bit about what, how you guys got it set up, and sort of what makes you guys unique and special and clearly awesome so people out there if they're interested in looking you guys up they can hear it from the horse's mouth
2: sure well i think i think the first thing i'll say is we do really specialize um so we really concentrate on asia and primarily china uh, and we do uh, concentrate on internships so our real focus is uh doing great internships in the country that we're both really passionate about so china Uh, And we offer four locations for that in Beijing, uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen are all big programs and then we have a
1: smaller program in uh, in Sanya. What we've really found is that it's important to have great people, you know, local teams on the ground. Um, We try and hire as many um, local staff and combine them with Westerners, international people who speak Chinese or at least are familiar with the culture. And we have teams of, say, around 10 people in each of those major three locations. Yeah, we do everything ourselves, so the accommodation, the welcome, the airport pickup. we really don't like to outsource to people because you never know what kind of quality you're going to get, particularly yeah. with local providers who aren't used to other levels of quality, should we say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very diplomatically put. When I, I worked for USO, it was just academic internship programs in Europe. and. We, we were asked all the time, you know, what's the specialty, right? You can't, clear, you can't, really can't place somebody in every single academic field or industry, but really you can, if you need to, you will. But what would you say are some of your like strengths? Not that you don't do other things, but what are some of the fields that maybe are your strengths?
2: We get a lot of people really interested in finance, um, especially in Shanghai. People right. love uh, sort of looking at banking and accounting for, for Shanghai. Uh, we have marketing, loads of marketing, uh, law, and then, sort of upcoming sectors or strengths, or sort of green technology and engineering and pharmaceuticals, they seem to be really popular. Uh, and Shenzhen has been really good uh, for that. And also, high tech uh, has been really good in Shenzhen.
1: It tends to follow the um, the industries um, that are most competitive for jobs. You know, people are looking to really gain skills to make them stand out from their peers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finance, law, it's the ones where you know, somebody's looking at your resume, or CV for thirty seconds, and they have to spot something interesting. Mm-hmm. And China really is does tick that box for most people. Yeah. Um, but it's been really interesting to see how how China um, has done some really cool things in a few sectors, like Dan mentioned, green tech. Mm-hmm. You know, China is doing really new things, um, and that makes people want to go. Mm-hmm. They read headlines, they read articles, and they think, oh, actually, maybe I should go to China and find out about green tech, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. cool.
0: Well, I feel like a lot of people, their next question is going to be like, that all sounds fantastic, but what if I can't do finance or green tech in Mandarin or Cantonese or what have you? How do you guys work with that? Is it a requirement or do you provide coursework on the ground? What happens?
2: I think that's hopefully where we come in and we act as that bridge um, and help people who don't necessarily speak Mandarin or have a very basic level of Mandarin. It's not a prerequisite Mm -hmm. uh, for coming on the program and most people on the program actually don't don't speak any Mandarin and we do offer it alongside. The internship. Um, China's opening up. I mean, China is a big part of the world economy, um, increasingly important politically. Uh, and I think some of us need to try and understand and learn Chinese and also the Chinese are trying to, uh, to, to be better in English and uh, learn to cooperate and work together with international partners better. So uh, there is a role to play for people who uh, don't speak Chinese but do bring with them um, sort of Western business culture,
1: uh, English language skills and can be part of China opening up to the world. I think um, I'd just like to add, you know, how not necessarily about people who just want to go and live in China for the rest of their lives. It's, you know, people who are back here in the U.S. or in Europe, they have Chinese customers. Whatever industry, they're going to be either Chinese customers or Chinese suppliers or Chinese business partners. And just having a little bit of familiarity with the culture, even if you don't end up being able to speak more than a couple of words, it's really useful.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think, I think it just becomes intimidating for people when they don't have the background to go there. I know that I when I moved to China that year, I lived in Zhuhai, which is very near Shenzhen. And, uh, I had never taken one second of Chinese (laughs) and I, uh, Uh took a little crash course, month long course in Beijing, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was a really intimidating process. I mean, obviously after over time, I'd start to. I think I got up to like fifty, hundred characters, something like that. But it's still not literate, right? So, um, but I felt really amazing. When I, yeah. Well, I felt really amazing when I was like, "That's a chicken, and that's a pig," you know. It's awesome,
2: bro. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know what? We we don't pretend China's not the easiest place in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest place to go in the world, especially if you don't speak any Mandarin. Not not every taxi drivers aren't going to speak English to you. They'll say hello yeah. uh, and give you a thumbs up, but they're they're not going to speak English. And it is it's a very different culture. So you know hopefully we give a helping hand uh, and and we look to sort of brave young people who are uh, you know open to new adventures and new experiences yeah.
1: yeah I think on the on the company side that's where we do really have to add the value is sorting through our four to five hundred host companies and making sure there is someone there who speaks good enough English to be a supervisor yeah you know that's that's really the role we have to play in in our company making that happen um, otherwise you know the internship becomes Less meaningful, the student is really unable to participate, and um, you know it won't be so successful. So finding finding host companies that really do have an English-speaking supervisor is quite important.
0: You know, one of the things I always was challenged with preparing them, especially for their first experience abroad or first experience in a very different culture like China. Is managing expectations. I went and did some research or read some reviews from students about your programs and overarchingly they're fantastic but you know there's always the students who don't have an amazing experience and to be fair not often it's not often the fault of the program provider or the university or whoever they're working with. Often it's just because they have an expectation that was way up here and their reality which is still fantastic is down here and so therefore there's just a huge mismatch. So let's talk a little bit about what students that might do an internship in a place like China, what, what are like your top three misconceptions or expectations they should be prepared for? The example I used to always give uh, that happened to me when we did internship placements in London and we'd have a finance major who was like, well, uh, my expectation is that I wanna manage at least a million dollars in in yeah. what universe is somebody gonna hand you sophomore with like intro to finance under your belt and you know a uh, million dollars to manage you know you're gonna be doing back office support work you know for the people who are doing that so things like that the expectation was huge up front and then we had to sort of walk them back so this is what it looks like to be an intern in this field so talk a little bit about what students going to china as an intern should expect it's
2: a it's a great question brooke um and i'm i'm glad you asked it maybe i'll give one and ed will give one and we'll, yeah. we'll break okay. it up a little bit um, so we've, set, we've sent around 5,000 students on the program so that, you know, the vast majority have had great times. Uh, they have always, but there's always going to be a couple who don't quite, doesn't quite match. Right. I think I'll give one, one example from the internship that can sometimes happen with China. So, you know, they're really excited for work and they, they, they'll get to work. And two things might happen in the internship. Uh, the first one might be that the supervisor says something like, ah, don't work too hard, you take a rest. Uh, no need you relax today and actually this young guy's come in and really wants to work hard and the guy has just said take a rest. Uh the supervisor's being really nice. Uh, but you know that's that's not quite what the person wants. He wants to be made to work hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that does happen sometimes in the company is that the student will turn around to us after the first day and say, Nobody speaks English in the company. They they only speak Chinese. And we turn around and say, every single one of them, or ninety-five percent of them, they do speak English. They're just a little bit nervous to go over to you, believe it or not, yeah. and practice their English that they haven't spoken properly for two or three years. So
1: that's one thing we have to manage uh, with the internship. Ed, yeah? Yeah, sure. I think I think Dan's example was absolutely perfect there, and we do see that quite a lot. Um, supervisors just not really realizing that, you know, this student is here for a short time and really just wants to get as much out of it as possible. It's not about sitting back and messaging your friends on you know, Skype or MSN Messenger, it's about day one, what can they add, what value can they, they gain. Right. Um, but I think another example would be just the, the culture shock and some of the issues. You know, like So many students that go on our programs, you know, obviously attracted by China, but they haven't really thought about the reality that actually this is what work is. You, know, you go into a company, you sit at a desk for eight hours and you do something that someone else has told you. Yeah, like you say you're not going you're, you're to be managing a million dollars and you're not going to be managing a team on your internship in China, right? Yeah. Somebody's going to give you a list of tasks and you're going to sit there and some people haven't sat still behind a desk for eight hours. So I think people sometimes just aren't prepared for that you know, structure.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's a a really spot on example. I I, I know what you said. I remember we would get evaluations from students. It wasn't even like saying that it was bad there. It's like, I sat behind a desk all day. Yeah, welcome. You know, I was on a computer all day and I'm like, welcome Uh to everyone's life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it was so interesting because I think that a lot of times where we don't bridge the gap when we're doing internship uh, advising, maybe, or educating students on what it means to go from like an academic environment to a professional environment is is sort of that gap between there's like knowing your field, knowing marketing or knowing finance strategies and then knowing how to just be in in work, the work yeah. world. There's that whole other culture and then doing it on another culture is like my mind yeah. is blown. You
1: can, be a, you can be a grade A student but if you don't have the communication skills or the ability to work in that environment, mm-hmm. what use is your what use are your grades? Right right? right, right, No one can get anything out of you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, agree.
0: And, and you know, and I think we—I see parallels of, of this a lot in the study abroad world. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, especially in our marketing, you know, I love marketing, I'm all about marketing. But sometimes I feel like in the study abroad world or intern abroad, you know, all this type of travel, we're so busy marketing how wonderful the experience is. That we forget to remind people that actually the best, what makes these experiences better than a cruise is that they're supposed to suck at some point during the experience. You're supposed to like, I hate this, I'm crying, why do these people do this? I mean, you're supposed to get uncomfortable. And I tell people all the time is if you didn't get really uncomfortable at some point, then you did it wrong. You know, and yep. that is the successful, meaningful academic yeah. internship experience. And we gotta strike a bounce in our marketing to not only market the amazing amounts of it, because there should be it should be fun and you should But I don't think most study abroad I don't think you guys would do well to put a crying person uh, on your homepage. page. Uh, uh, <laughs> <it'd be laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. A
2: yeah, I think you're right. We do say, actually, when we do our leaving ceremony, we do talk about things like this. Mm-hmm. These guys are going to go into interviews, right? And they're going to talk about their China experience. And if they just, it's all fluffy and yeah. uh, everything's amazing and great, the interviewer will think, oh, okay, that's cool. But if they say, actually, I had this really difficult challenge with uh, my colleagues who didn't speak to me at first and uh, the work wasn't quite what I knew or wanted, but I managed to turn that around... An interviewer is going to look at them and be really impressed by how they've how they've leveraged that experience. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely right, and they need to go back and think about that and reflect on that.
1: Right. Yeah, I would. I'd kind of equate it to actually the the experience of the university as a whole, or even something like high school. You know, it's full of ups and downs. You have a really hectic exam period. You have some tough sports fixtures. You have like crappy times when, you know, maybe family members have a tough time or whatever, you're dealing with those things and that's what learning is about, mm-hmm. but somehow because we're dealing with something abroad and something a bit shorter term, it's all super positive and it yes. has to be.
0: I think obviously because it's, it's it tends to be a bigger investment, people, mm-hmm. then we get into this like consumerist model as opposed to an educational model. And then you're like striking a balance, like, well, yeah, if you are paying a lot of money for something, you do want it to be spot on every moment of the day. But as an educational experience, we know if it's just perfect the whole time, where was the education? Anyway, we'll save that for part two.
2: When is part two?
0: Oh, I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. I think we should have cocktails if we're gonna do that one. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My final question. I always ask everybody. Let's back up though a little bit. Did you study abroad during university?
2: I, I we both did. I did. Yep. I was doing French and German at uh, Oxford uh-huh. in England, uh-huh. and I
1: I lived in. Germany and Ed. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did China in two thousand three. Um, that was actually the year SARS happened. So that was a bit of an adventure. We yeah. did Beijing, <laughs> followed by Singapore. Bit of a quarantine on the beach in Thailand.
0: Could be I worse. Mean, worst places to be quarantined. Be I mean, I I would cry a tear for you, but I just can't muster it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so you did study abroad, which is fantastic. Everything you know now about the study abroad experience, international, you know, internships. Um, All these different opportunities that exist and what goes into them. If you go back to college knowing everything you know now, would you study abroad again and where would you go and why?
1: I genuinely think I would do the same again.
0: Yeah.
1: I would probably just try and add some more.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, (laughs) The master's course we did actually, um, you know, I did it part-time over two years Mm -hmm. and I was very lucky to meet Dan because he was doing it just over one year full-time. But we could have done a bit abroad there. I think we could... They could do some short-term study abroad for masters courses, like you know, almost something a bit like our internship program or something where you did like a you know a couple of weeks. I would definitely have just added as much as possible. I would have loved to 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 do that. Uh, and
2: and yeah, it goes without saying. I mean, I'm I'm a huge advocate of, of going abroad and study abroad and open horizons. I think yeah, I did French and German. I think Europe is great. I'm British and I love Europe, but I think Asia is where it's at right now. I think Asia's any country: Japan, China, Southeast Asia, India. I think is super exciting right now. Um, and yeah, encourage everybody to to try and get out there at some point and feel the energy over there. That's
0: perfect. I will. All of your stuff down below in the show notes, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, website, all the greatest hits. Thank well, you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Bye bye. Thanks.
2: Bro. Take care.
1: Bye.
0: That's a wrap, you guys. Thank you again so much for listening to the show. If you guys want to connect with Daniel and Ed, you can find them on Twitter as at crccasia, and of course I'll be linking to each of their LinkedIn profiles down below in the show notes. If you can't get enough of CRCC Asia and Daniel, I've embedded a video in the show notes um, of his appearance on CNBC, and he was talking all about China as an emerging market and the importance of having professional experience working in China. So you That might be really interesting to you, and good for him for landing that gig on CNBC. As I mentioned last week on the show, if you recall, I participated in the debate at the Global Internship Conference in Boston a couple weeks ago. And the video is now live online. So if you're interested and want to check that out, you can watch the video in the show notes as well. And it, Daniel actually has a little cameo in there where he asked a very pointed yet hilarious question of me at the end of that debate. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So you can check that out as well. As I said at the beginning of the show, don't forget that the Global Pro Institute is opening up next week. So be sure to get on the early bird list at Learn. Dot inside study dot com And until then, you can connect with me personally on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat if you're down with that as the New Dorothy. Have a great, great holiday weekend, everyone. Be safe, and I'll see you on the inside.